Hey, welcome back. This is Robert Fleming, one of the partners in the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. The other partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, is sitting across from me. We've been quiet for a couple of weeks. We've missed a couple of podcasts. Uh, part of that is because we have just been retooling our website, still trying to get the podcast um, feed on our website the way we want it to go. Still not quite there, but we're back to to keep filling up our our uh, podcast slot. So, Elizabeth, welcome back. Thanks, Robert. The other reason we've been a little bit quiet is because we've been traveling. You and I and our new associate, Matt Mansour, all went to Florida last week for a, for a seminar, a series of seminars. You were speaking there. What, what was going on in Florida? Well, Robert, I think that some of our listeners may be familiar with the Stetson Conference. So Stetson University, they have a wonderful law school there, and they're in the Tampa area. They put on a conference on special needs planning every year. It's a national conference, and we usually attend for three days, and oftentimes you have been a speaker and I have been a speaker and it's just a wonderful opportunity to meet with attorneys from across the country who focus on special needs planning and there are a bunch of trust officers, there are some investment advisors, many different advocates with people who have disabilities and the conference this year was particularly interesting because they started with a day that was actually a day that focused on certain things like veterans benefits and VA planning social security benefits. They had a day on specialized issues related to tax planning and special needs planning. So the conference really kicked off with some detailed focus sessions and then went into a couple of days of more general sessions. The two different presentations that I made, one was on different government benefits and the ways in which as special needs planning attorneys we work with other attorneys and have to talk about these issues. A lot of times attorneys who may specialize or practice in other areas may not be familiar with special needs planning and why it's important. So we talked a little bit about that and I enjoyed presenting with Emily Kyle who is an attorney in Scottsdale, Arizona. That was fun. And then on another day we did a case law update and that is always a good time Bob Feckman, who's a great attorney in Indiana, was a co-presenter on that. And we talked about a bunch of different cases, one particular case from the Court of Appeals in California that was last January that had a trustee and trust protector and legal fees and battles and elder law issues. That was a popular case that people enjoyed listening about. So I will tell you, it was a jam-packed conference. What did you think of the conference? It was a pretty busy conference. This is, for people who are not familiar, you mentioned it's Stetson University College of Law. I First time I ever heard of Stetson, I assumed it was somewhere in Texas. It's not. It's in DeLand, Florida. But the College of Law is in the relatively urban setting of Gulfport, Florida, surrounded by St. Petersburg, and that's where the meeting was. So, and they've been doing that for 25 years. This, for me, is the 25th session that I've gone to. I've been to every one of them, and one of only a handful of people who have. This is the place where the Special Needs Alliance really uh, came into full existence, and, and partly because of these annual conferences. And of course, Elizabeth, you and I are both members of the Special Needs Alliance, and proudly so. Uh, and uh, and so this is really the meeting of most of the leading figures in special needs planning, at least in the legal community, and a lot of vendors, um, uh, providers, healthcare providers, financial advisors, people who have 
able account administration issues, people who run the TrueLink uh, credit card, debit card that we use pretty extensively. They're all there. So three or 400 people milling around talking about special needs planning for three plus days. It's a pretty intense thing. It's quite an honor for you to have been invited to speak twice. Tell, tell me more about your California case, just, just to pick a sample of the kinds of things that that we learn about and talk about at these. Uh, that case sounds interesting, a trustee, a trust protector. I assume the trust protector is somebody um, distant from the trustee so that they can be a little bit of a, a check on the trustee's decisions. Good question, Robert. Well, not in this case. So I, I knew this, by the way. I was there listening. Oh, well, thank you for thank you for your warm introduction too. <laughs> it was fun to fun to present and have you in the audience. So, let's see. This particular case it was about a gentleman who was in his nineties, a retired neurology professor actually, and he had declined, um, and his family was concerned. He'd been married before. Um, things started to change for him. He started going through a period of trying to update his estate plans. He actually saw more than four attorneys. I think it might have been five attorneys in a span of two years to try and update his documents. As many of our listeners know, when we talk about elder law issues, one of the issues that we often discuss is capacity. And in this particular case, there was a vulnerable adult, this retired professor, and as he was updating his documents, one of the estate planners who we worked with um, included provisions to create a trust protector, somebody who could oversee the trustee. Well, as the professor declined, the trustee, the co-trustee, uh, essentially stepped in, took over, and was a neighbor of the neurology professor. And believe it or not, the trust protector was the neighbor's wife. So it was all quite insular. And um, as time went on in the case, there was a lot of back and forth between the vulnerable adults' kids, concerns around who might be taking advantage, including whether the trustee was taking advantage. As the trustee began to get uncomfortable, I think, about the questions and the oversight functions and the list goes on, there was an action brought against the vulnerable vulnerable adult's children, actually, for elder abuse. The trustee filed the Exactly. The, the claim. And uh, the kids said, hey, why have you started filing lawsuits? Does dad know what's going on? And the case went on and on. It's, it's an opinion that's pretty interesting to read. Ultimately, uh, the court found that the trustee had been using the vulnerable adult's assets to protect himself. And the fact is that the trust protector really wasn't doing a whole lot of objective work because she was intimately involved with the trustee. So while this was a case that didn't specifically focus on special needs planning, it really focused on some of those elder law issues, the issues around how to support a vulnerable adult, provide both autonomy and also some protection. And I thought it was a good, good case we discussed this year. You know, it's it's a good way to lead into the point that special needs planning doesn't always have to be adult, developmentally disabled um, individuals or mentally ill people. It can be anybody who is in who has a disability, including advancing dementia. A, tr- a trust that is that we might call a special needs trust doesn't have to have capital S special, capital N needs, capital T trust 
on the front of the document to be within the ambit of special needs planning. Uh, and um, and a case like that, I, I thought it would be interesting to just talk about it a little bit because there are so many typical red flags that pop up as you describe the, the facts of the case. An elderly man with a long history of intellectual work declining, children who are suspicious of what's going on around him, uh, a neighbor acting as trustee, the neighbor's wife as trust protector, each one of those um, is a red flag in our practice. And, and without really paying too much regard to what the facts of that case were or the holding of that case, those are the things that we see in our day-to-day practice in, in special needs work and elder law. Well, Robert, it was a great opportunity to present, and I appreciate all the efforts that go into planning a conference like that. I always get home and it takes a little while just to digest all the information. I think when I think about what I learned this year, exactly you know, what these different cases, I think, in the update taught me is that throughout the country, people are dealing with the same issues. And there are issues that are ethical issues, there are issues that are case law based, there are issues that are, um, particularly when we think about folks who may receive assistance through programs like Medicaid or Medicare, um, they are not necessarily all state specific. Many of the states grapple with the same issues. So it was wonderful to be with a group of folks who really see a goal of theirs in their particular law practice to advocate for people with special needs. So it's always encouraging to get back and think about the folks doing great work across the country. And we'll both be back there next October. Maybe we'll do a podcast episode talking about what was the most interesting case or story that we hear here in a year. In the meantime, this is Robert Fleming. I've been chatting with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We are the partners In the Tucson, Arizona, elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC, you're listening to Elder Law Issues, our weekly, except not always, podcast. And um, we will be back next week. We'll talk with you then.